All right, so today we're beginning a new sermon series, and it's family pictures, and you know, and uh, I, p- I picked the title, you know, and then I looked out on the sign as I was driving by one day this week and saw family pictures, and I thought, I hope people don't think that we're just taking family pictures here this Sunday, and that's what it's about, so I don't know, maybe, maybe we need to put some uh, quotes around it or something, I don't it says sermon series, but you know how it is, sometimes you're driving by, you've only got time to read the top line, or what. you've got to drive by two or three times, get the whole message, you know, uh, but uh, family pictures, and how many of you like taking family pictures? Seriously, you really like taking family. Now think about, you really like, okay, who raised their hand? Y'all don't, okay, do you have, any of y'all with kids, you know, any of y'all with, you know, with four or five kids? Angela, y'all like taking family pictures, you know, just ask her out. I mean, we don't really like, now there's an old saying, you know, about pictures, that a picture is worth a thousand words. But that person who wrote that, who said that the first time, was not talking about family pictures. Because you think about a family picture. If you took a family picture that truly described, and you looked at that picture, and people looked at that picture, and they knew, they said, man, okay, I understand what kind of family they are. If you took a picture like that, that described what your family was really like, you wouldn't hang it on the wall. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you know, you, you might hang it on the back of the door or the closet or something, but you would not hang it on the wall. I mean, you, you know, you wouldn't do that. Really, family pictures do not depict who we really are. We dress up, right? We dress up. We get the kids just perfect. We, you know, uh, and we don't want, you know, one of the things, you, you know, you kind of say, okay, everybody, smile, say cheese. You don't say, okay, all the kids, act like you normally do. Come on, somebody. You don't do that, right? A family picture does not give the true picture of what a family is. It's something they would dress up and say, here they are at their very best for the 15 seconds that we could get them to act their very best in their whole entire life. And it's something you can look back for for years and years and years. Family pictures. So that's what we talk about, talk about uh, in, in this series. Mary and Joseph, the first Christmas family. They're our subject for this series. Not your family pictures, not my family pictures. Mary and Joseph. And, you know, you look there in the scripture and you don't see a lot written about Mary and Joseph. And so if you're not careful, you'll say, well, we don't know much about Mary and Joseph. Well, there is some, thing, there is some written there. there. There are some things written there. And these things that are written there, if you look just a little bit deeper, if you look just a little bit longer, if you look a little more intently, you will see that because... These few pictures that we have in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Mary and Joseph, you will see that because they were captured with the camera of God, there is indeed a lot of detail that is there. So this morning, we're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to start with the first picture a potential family takes, at least these days, are the engagement pictures, right? I mean, that's the ones today that they take. And we don't have an actual snap, but really, what, what would a snapshot of Mary and Joseph really tell us about them? We've got, a, we've got much more of a picture through the Word of God. And so we're going to look at that today. Let's have a word of prayer. God, I love you. I thank you, God, for the pictures that you leave us, God. Uh, the whole entire Old Testament, God, just picture after picture after picture of how you work with your people and what you want to do for your people, God, and your blessings and your miracles, God, that you want to just pour out on us, the promises that you fulfill, God. And Lord, let us see something today. God, this is, God, I know, Lord, this has challenged me this week. This is going to be challenging to us. And I pray, God, that you help us be men and women 
Christian, adult, Lord, to step up, to step into this place, God, and to accept the call, accept the challenge, to be the people, God, that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, God, I ask you, God, challenge. God, not just the word, but challenge the heart today, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Okay, y'all can do better than that, can't you? Everybody said. Amen. I know it's early service, and some of y'all trying it out for the first time this morning. Y'all be a little louder than that, all right? Okay, y'all are awake, right? So, so uh, let's begin looking at the picture. And we're going to go to Luke, and uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in the, uh, the first, first chapter of Luke and first chapter of Matthew. Uh, the engagement, Luke chapter 1, our next slide, uh, get our scripture right there, it's, it's coming, it's coming, there we go, okay, all right, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, go stop right here for just a moment, okay, because get this, first of all, is that God sent an angel, okay, now this is a big deal, right, anybody ever had an angel visit your house, anybody, anybody, anybody? You know, if you, you know, that's a big deal. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't happen every day, right? So this is a big deal. So I'm going to stop right here because, you know, we're about to talk about Mary, okay? She's not even mentioned yet in this. But see this, is that God sent an angel. Okay, this is a big deal, all right? It's, it's not an everyday occurrence. It's not just ho-hum. This is a big deal. So here, here's, here's, here's my first point, or maybe even my first question to you, is at what age is it, at what age is it, that we need to begin to get serious with God. At what age? Because I know, oh, we got kids church now, and they're just kind of playing church, right? You know, y'all ever play church? When I was a kid, we used to play church a little bit. I, 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 really, like, I really like playing, you know, army more than I like playing church. But every once in a while, we'd play, we'd play church, you know. You know, sometimes we look at kids church, we think, oh, they're just playing church. Or, or Wednesday night, youth, student worship, you know. And man, the teens, they really like getting into the, into the music. They love the music and all that. And it's like, but that's not real church, is it? I mean, at what age is it that we come to a place that we're supposed to be serious with God? Well, can I tell you? That Mary was 14 years old. Now, that, that's the best estimates we've got. Some people even say 12. But Mary was 14 years old when this angel showed up one night and told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. 14 years old. This is, this is the time. And so you might look around and say, well, 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 I'm not old enough yet. Some of you may say, I'm not old enough yet. You know, I've still got all my other things. You know, I, okay, kids' church is fine. Yeah, teen mu- the music and all that, that's fine. But man, this stuff of commitment... This stuff of reading my Bible every day, this stuff of, of, of praying every day, and, you know, this stuff of, of being consistent and, 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 you know, God knowing where to find me when he, you know, and, and me replying to him, responding to him and, and, and putting myself in a place and, and being dedicated and doing something for God and having a call and a mission for God. So isn't that for just all the older people in church? You know, the people that are married now and they're old, you know, and decrepit, you know, can't get around anymore and whatever, and their metabolism's slowing down, they're beginning to get a little thick around their gut, you know, and they're beginning to have kids and all of those things. Isn't, isn't all that commitment stuff and that seriousness with God, isn't that for the older ones, the ones who have lived their young life and sown all their wild oats and now they're going to get serious with God and have to pull up all the stuff that's been growing? Isn't that when it's time to get serious? Here was a woman who had a mission from God at the age of 14. At what age is it time to be serious with God? As soon as you hear his voice. To her, an angel showed up and spoke the word. But as soon as you hear the voice inside, it's time to get serious with God. 
there is something, there is something you need to be serious about with God today. And we're going to probably deal with some of that. So the next verse just kind of says that she, was, that, that she came to, and this is, this is the first part of the verse, is that the angel came to a virgin named Mary. Virgin. Yep, we're going to talk about it right here for just a minute. Okay, where, here's another question for you, where has the virtue gone? Where has virtue gone in our society? And not just out there, but dare we say it and even ask the question, even right here in our midst, where has the virtue gone? Back, you know, back when I was growing up, and some of you who are my age or older, you'll remember a saying. I don't hear this saying anymore. I mean, if you, and if you hear it on TV, you will hear it accompanied by a laugh track behind it when they say, saving themselves for marriage. Yeah, I mean, if you hear that on TV, it'll, it'll probably be on a, you know, on a sitcom and, and there'll be a laugh track in the background. Saving themselves for, they, they're saving themselves for marriage. Snicker, snicker, snicker. You know, a wink, wink. Uh, yeah, can you believe they're saving themselves for marriage? This is, what, this is what Mary had done. She had saved herself for the one in her life. I, I, I got to tell you something. Is when, when you save yourself for the one in your life, then when you find that the one in your life, then you are able to give to them a unique gift that nobody else in the world will ever receive. When you, oh boy, it's really quiet here tonight because this morning right now, y'all are kind of worried where I'm going with this and how deep I'm going to go with this. I, I want to I go somewhere. I want to I I say some things. And listen, if you're easily offended, just go ahead and put your fingers in your ears for the next five minutes, okay? Because there are some people in this room right now that need to hear this. Is, is, is you can, and I don't, I don't offend anybody's sensibilities, but there are way too many people out there today who are just giving it away for nothing. And let me tell you this. God never intended you to give it away for nothing, okay? And, and I won't be any more blunt if y'all get it, okay? But he never intended you to give it away for nothing. He intended you to enter into a covenant with someone that every time you invest and you give this thing that you have held, something that is precious, that only you can give to somebody else. Nobody else can give that gift of you to somebody else. And this thing that you have held precious, and you held all of this time, God, God intends you to enter into a covenant with someone so that when you give it, you give this awesome gift, you receive an awesome gift in return. He doesn't intend us to, to give away and to throw away and to trash the stuff that we have. I mean, just to be honest with you. You know, uh, you know, I'm married. I've been married 30 Two, three years. Okay, I had to count up here just a minute. Right, right. We've been married that long, Dave. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm out of the doghouse here because she said I think. All right. So, you know, she doesn't know that I'm good. All right, because I think I counted it up right there real quick. So, 1979, yeah, I think that's 33 years. I've been married 33 years. Can I, can I tell you something? Just to be honest with you. You know what? I don't need the distraction that when I am trying to emotionally connect with my wife, now, I'm not even just talking about the sexuality part, but the emotional connection. I don't need the distraction of 12 other sexual experiences in my past. And I don't need, when I'm trying to emotionally connect, I don't need the competition of 12 sexual experiences in her life that she's comparing me to. I don't need the distraction or the competition. You know, so... so 
by all means, I'm saying, you know, God help us save and understand that this is not a toy. And I really like, I really like, you know, maybe you guys don't see this. Maybe you don't hear it as often as I do. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm saying, God, show us something. But just a few moments ago when, when, when uh, John was up and he was taking us to prayer and just before we received the offering, he said something about giving yourself. That's in my notes. You mean, I'll get my notes out and show it. That's in my notes. I'm not talking about just sex. I'm talking about giving yourself. And I, I love that. It's like, like another little conference. I'm looking for that all the time. Maybe you don't see that kind of stuff. But man, I see that just in, in songs and in the words that, you know, that, that those who are receiving the, the offering and praying are just speaking. It's like, wow, just God is just weaving through this whole thing. And, and God is saying, give yourself to me. This isn't, this isn't a standalone message for the next 30 minutes. That we're just going to talk about some virtue things and some of that. No, this all fits with everything else. It's about giving yourself to God. Giving yourself. It's not just about giving away sex. It's about giving away yourself. And God has given you this precious gift. You know what Mary did with it? Mary, she saved herself. Not just for the one, Joseph. She saved herself for the one, Jesus Christ. And when it came time for 400 years... There had been no open vision. That's what, that's what we understand. That from the Old Testament until Matthew and Luke and, and Mark and John, from those times, there were 400 years that there had been no open vision. God had not been speaking. Nothing was happening. And now, boom, all of a sudden, God starts showing up. And he starts speaking, and he, and he shows up by sending an angel. And who does he send the angel to? It is no accident that he goes and finds Mary, a virgin. There's something about this Mary because she had saved herself, not just for the one here on this earth, but she had saved herself for the one. And God had an awesome, awesome opportunity for her. And she was ready to take advantage of it. Why? Not because she woke up one night and saw an angel, but because she had been keeping herself for the one. You see, when you give yourself away, to everybody and everything out there. You're throwing yourself, you're throwing these pieces of you away that you can no longer give to God because you don't have it there anymore. Whew. It's getting heavy, ain't it? Because it's a heavy, because it's a serious, because we're supposed to be adults right here. This is not about a little something. This is not about, this is an, this is an awesome, this is an awesome experience. It's for God to call you and say, I have something awesome in your life. Let me tell you this. There's another place to stick your fingers in yours if, you're, if you get offended. But some people in this room need to hear this. It's when you give it away, they write your name on bathroom stalls. But when you save yourself for him, he writes your name in eternity. You see, you get to make the decision. You want your name written all over every every bad place in this world and places that, how long is a bathroom stall up? How long is a, how long is a locker room? Or how long is a, is a restroom in a, in a high school going to last? I mean, 50 years, 100 years? No, not even 100 years. That's what happens when you give yourself away. But when you save yourself for the one, he writes your name. You want, you want an example? Right here it is. The virgin named Mary because she saved herself for the one. Her name is written, in, is written in eternity. It is written for, 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 for every, 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 I mean, every 
group of people that has, has lived since for 2,000 years now, since she was born. We've all talked about Mary. We know Mary. Mary is exemplified. Mary is in, in, in pictures. She is portrayed. She, she is in the nativity scenes. She's in just every Christmas program that is around because she saved herself for the one and now her name has been written in eternity. So that's the, that, that's the decision you have to make. It's, it's to give myself to anything and everything or to give myself to somebody and some, somebody here and something that really counts. And so God gave her this opportunity and he sent to the virgin named Mary. And the end of that verse says, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, Joseph a descendant of King David. Now, her, her marriage was probably prearranged. That's the way they did things back in those days. I used to believe that too. I used to believe that God had a woman for me. And I could never get away from her. Twitter painted by her eyes when I was eight years old and I could never get away from her. I used, I used to believe that. I look, I look around today and I kind of wonder, God, do you really have... One woman for one man? God, do you really have a, 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 this great, awesome plan and dream for every single life that is out there? Or God, are you just kind of throwing us all out there together and say, y'all just see how y'all can pair up and see what works out? Because the way I'm looking at it today, I mean, we just look like we're just trying, trying to pair up and see what works out. And if it don't work out, hey, we just pair up again. Man, y'all quiet. That just makes me feel like I need to stay here a while. Here's what was happening. Oh, I'm, her dad had arranged a marriage for her into the tribe, the family of the kings of Israel. He was a descendant of King David. His family was the tribe of the kings of Israel. Now, I know the kings were not on the throne at this time. During this time, the Romans actually had an empire and they were of the Roman Empire. It extended down into Palestine. And so I know the kings were not, they were not on the throne but you know what was about to happen? What God was announcing right here is he was announcing that, hey, the king is coming. And the king was coming back. The king was about to show up. And you know how he was getting here? He was getting here through Mary. That's how the king was going to show up. And because she had saved herself for the one and for this awesome opportunity in history, this awesome opportunity of God to do a great, miraculous work, because of that, the king was coming back. And so, you know, we look around and we can say, uh, physically we look around and we say, hey, there are no kings here physically. There are no kings around. But spiritually, we got to look beyond what we're just seeing these days and for these few moments and realize that just like her dad did for her, your heavenly father has a beautiful, awesome dream for your life that he wants to bring, he wants to bring these same kind of blessings as he was bringing the king back, Jesus Christ to the rightful throne. He wants to bring the awesome blessings and promises and the great things that, that he can and will do. He wants to bring the power back. He wants to bring the peace back. Somebody needs peace this morning. He wants to bring forgiveness back. He wants to bring a rightness to your life back. He wants to bring, and how's he going to do that? He's going to do that by finding someone who says, but I'm saving myself. And I know, you know, he has an awesome dream for your life. I know some of you are saying, Pastor, I've already messed up. Some of you have never been married. You can still say, Pastor, I've already messed up. And that 
physical virtue thing you were talking about a few moments ago. Somebody said, Pastor, I've been married several times. I'd say close to half the people in our congregation of regular attenders have been married more than once of those that have been married. So uh, this is not an indictment against you. What this is is like, it's time today to make a decision. To make it, I, I can't fix yesterday. I can only make a decision for tomorrow. But I serve a God who fixes yesterday. Oh, praise God. Isn't he an awesome God? All I've got to do is worry about tomorrow. And he worries about yesterday. All I've got to do is make a decision about where I am right now and what road I'm going to walk tomorrow. He fixes my yesterday. Because the great dream that God had for her life is Joseph. And there's so little that we know about Mary and Joseph. There's so little we know about Mary, but there's even less that we know about Joseph. Matthew chapter 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. This is verse 18 and 19. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. Now, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement, does it? He, 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 he's a good man. <laughs> have, have you ever said that? Or, you know, somebody asks you about somebody, you say, he's a good man. But you got to remember who's writing the words. You got to remember who's speaking this. It's the God who does not lie. It's the God who does not play with words. It's the God who doesn't tell us a half truth so we believe he's a better man than he is. God says he was a good man. Oh, that I would, God would say that about Rick Hand. That God could say, Rick was a good man. I mean, that's about all we could ever hope for. He was a good man. Didn't say he was a perfect man. It didn't say he was a virgin. Ooh, pastor, what are you saying about Joseph? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying what the picture here does not tell us that. I like that it doesn't tell us all of that. I don't know whether he was or not. He was probably several years older than Mary. That's the way it was back in those days. He had to get established and he had to, he had to get a job. You know, you know, he didn't, you know, just get married and, you know, just, uh, just move the wife in with the family. I mean, you know, back in those days they used to, oh, come on, come on, somebody lighten up a little bit here and say amen. You know, it's, you know, he had to pull it all together and say, so he's probably a little bit older. You know what? He might've sown some wild oats. I don't, I'm not saying he did. But the picture's not painted in right there. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not colored in. I mean, we've just got an outline of a few things. So I don't know. Doesn't mean he never lied. Doesn't mean that he never had a bad thought about someone else. Doesn't mean that he didn't never had a lustful thought about someone else. Not even married, maybe someone else. Or that he had actually already had sex. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. It just says he was a good man. I like that. Because... It doesn't say those things. Tells me that it could be. It could be that there was a past that God had fixed. See, you you need to see, you need to see this, you need to embrace this and say, God wants to do that for me too. And that even if I've messed up, all I've got to decide today is to be good. Now be good, but not just be good, be good in God's eyes. He was a good how good was he? Okay. Now just saying he was a good man doesn't sound like but I'm about to show you a picture of how good he was. I think a deep picture 
of how good he was. Let's go on. The end of verse 19. And he did not want to disgrace Mary publicly when he found out she was pregnant. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. He had every right because now all of a sudden she's shown up and she's pregnant. And the story she has, God did this to me in the middle of the night. I don't know where this thing came from. You know, that's the story she had. And you know, as good a man as he was, as righteous, as holy, as, 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 as you know, as Jewish as he was, still, God, God showed up and did that to you one night. You know, this, this is the story she had. And you know, he had every right. Because now, the community knows. I mean, they know. And no, they're not going to hide her away for nine months until the baby's born. Everybody knows. He was being embarrassed publicly. And because of that, he had every right to embarrass her publicly. To drag her out in the city streets and to proclaim it to everyone around that she has had sexual relations with somebody. She says it's God. I don't know. And so I am publicly right now disavowing my engagement to her because she has had relations with somebody besides me. That's the way they did things. And he had every right to do that. Under Mosaic law, under Jewish law, under their custom, under their... He had every right to do that. I want you to get this. But sometimes doing what is right means you have to forget your rights. You don't get to choose, you don't get to choose and, and demand that somebody is put down because they put you down. Sometimes doing what is right is suffering the indignity of what somebody does against you for the sake and the cause of the name of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it is taking a slap in the face, you know, talking metaphorically here, where somebody says something to you that they shouldn't say, or they treat you in a way they shouldn't treat you. And you, and you take it because you're a Christian. And you say, well, I don't, does Jesus want us to do that? Yeah, he says, he, he says that we'll, we'll suffer those kinds of indignities. And sometimes doing what is right is being willing to suffer an indignity even though you have the right to go complain to the manager and get that waitress fired. Even though you have a right to write five or ten... And listen, there is no better, bigger letter writer in this church than this pastor right here. I, I once got, had a problem at Pizza Hut and I ended up with t- 10 free personal pan pizzas because of the problem. Okay, listen, I, you know, so I, I'm, a, I'm a letter writer, so here I'm getting on my own toes a little bit here. But sometimes doing what is right is not about going and getting somebody fired, but it's about, it's about showing the love of Jesus Christ, His, His humbleness, His acceptance of the indignities of this life and this world. And saying, I love you anyway. It's not about not leaving a tip. It's not about going in and complaining and making a scene. Please, if that's who you are, don't wear your church 2911 shirt out in the community anymore, all right? I mean, seriously, doing what is right sometimes means you have to give up your rights. Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary. He had every right to speak the word and zap every human that lived on the face of this earth. Every time you commit a sin, he has every right because he died for your sin. He has every right to strike you dead right then. But doing what is right in the eyes of God and in his heart is not about his rights. It is putting all that aside and suffering the indignity for your eternal salvation. 
That's who Joseph was. But let me show you three more things. Verse, verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Okay, Whew. so now Mary's going to get off the hook because the angel's going to show up at his house too and say, she's not telling a fib here, Joseph, okay? Uh, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, just like she told you. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In verse 22, we begin... When, Je when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. First of all, he was obedient to the command of God. You know, some people think the pastor just wants everybody to give twice as much tithes or, or work twice as hard or, or, or volunteer twice as many times or, you know, get on the nursery calendar twice as much. No, I don't want you to give twice as much. I don't want you to do twice. I want you to do what you have been called to do. I, you know, and my dad, my dad did a study. My dad was a bivocational pastor, a CPA slash pastor. That's why I've got the accounting background that I have. And, you know, he, he, he did studies sometimes. He, would just look, he just got to thinking one day, and he just got to looking at it and, and adding it up. And, you know, he had, he had his church, and he, and he had, his, had his business, and he looked at these things, and he said, you know, you know and, he, and he told us one day, he said, you know what? He said, if everybody in the church paid tithes, you'd never have to receive an offering in the church because everything would be taken care of. If everybody just did, if everybody paid double tithes, that's not what he, not what he said. He said, if everybody did what God had commanded them to do. Obedience is not about doing more. Obedience is about doing. It's because some of you need to do less in some areas. Some of you are like, like Martha, you know. You need to put down, you know, the baking dish and all that for a little while and just go sit at the feet of Jesus and just rest. It's not about doing more. Obedience is about doing what God has called you to do in every area of your life. And this is who he was. He did what the angel said. But look at the second thing in, this, in these verses. I'm sorry, he was obedient. That was the first thing. Here's the second thing in these verses. But he did not have sexual relations with Mary until her son was born. 180 days. Married and no sex for 180 days. Newlyweds. I don't know what kind of honeymoon he had. Probably not much of one. Honeymoon and no relations with her for 180 days. Uh, we don't know exactly, but just if you just look at the timing of when she, when she went to see uh, Elizabeth stay with her three months and came back and all this happening, it appears that, that, that they knew she was pregnant for 180 days or, or six months, 180 days. And so Joseph, Joseph was a good man. A really good man. I know it's really hard to say amen to, to these things because you're afraid somebody sitting beside you going to snicker. I understand that, okay? Joseph was a good man, a really good man. And he was good to his wife in an exceptional way for 180 days. I, I want to take this beyond sex, but I want you to really see this. It's because, because what happened is he was not a good man, an exceptional man, for 179 days. Not for the first three months. I said, oh man, this is, I'm, I'm done with this being good. I'm done with this doing what is right. I'm done. 100. And, and you know, it, 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 I think it's easy for us to just, just look at that and say, oh, for six months, 
Wow, that must have been hard. No wonder, no, it's not six months. It's 180 days. What's the difference, Pastor? Because every single day he woke up, he had to make a decision. I am going to do what is right by my wife and this child today. He wasn't making a decision for six months now. He made a decision today. Understand, I want to take this beyond sex, but I want you to really get this. He had to make that decision every single day. And you have the same decision to make every single day. You don't decide today what you're going to do six months from now and how you're going to, how you're going to be obedient to God and how you're going to be exceptional and how you're going to be righteous and holy. What you do is you wake up every single day and you decide this day I am going to do what is right. I'm going to be exceptional in the sight of God this day. And for 180 straight days, he got up every day and said, today, you see, that's why, that's why a lot of us are struggling. So we're not making the decision every morning when we wake up. We haven't decided that this is another day that I am going to be God's man or God's woman. And third, lastly, uh, the end of this, verse 25 says, and Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph named him. Mary could have done it. She knew what the name was going to be, but it's the father's responsibility. In these days, it was his responsibility. He didn't say, look, I ain't got anything to do with this, but he said, no. I'm the husband. I'm the father. His name is, he stood up in the place he belonged. He took responsibility for everything about his life. And he said, God said this child's name was Jesus. He published the name. He spoke the name. When somebody showed up and said, oh, the baby's cute, what's his name? Joseph said, his name is Jesus. He was there. He, he was where he was supposed to be. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was taking responsibility. He was accepting the duty that had been given to him by God every single day that he got up. Would well, you think there were any days that he wished, ah, oh, I sure would have liked to have named him Joseph Jr.? Think there were any days like that? But every day, his name is Jesus. You know what the picture is to me? The picture of Mary and Joseph? It's a picture of virtue. A picture of righteousness. A picture of doing the right thing. A picture of commitment. A picture of dedication. A picture of, of giving yourself to God and God alone. Giving yourself to God, God alone, and then seeing what pieces of you God has. See, that's the obedient part. It's not just doing and giving, every, but seeing what pieces of you God has for you to give out to others and to who at right times. It is a picture. It's a picture of righteousness and holiness and all these things. So, and this is the kind of picture that God's camera takes. What picture does his camera capture of you? Does God's camera ever catch you on a bad day, have a bad hair day, you know? You ever spiritually have a bad hair day? Does God's camera ever capture you on a bad day? If you were to see the same, if God were to write, you know, instead of just snapping a picture, but were to write, would you like, would you like the picture that God painted of you today? And maybe even a deeper question is, does God like the picture he's getting of you today? You see, here, here's, let's close at the front. I want to tell you this last thing when we get to the front. Would you stand with me? And let's just come to the front. I want to tell you this last thing when you get here. If you'll come, one last thing. We're going to pray and we're going to, we're going to sing a song. Jamie's going to lead us 
in this song that I've been looking forward to for about 40 minutes now. Oh, this picture. What's your picture? What's your picture look like? We're talking about a promise that's about to be birthed. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The promise for all mankind. The one who would forgive every sin that had ever been committed of every person that has ever lived. It's offered, there it is. And I, and I, and I think here's the, here's, the ta- here's the takeaway, here's the tagline, here's the point for this whole message is that God's promises are birthed in righteousness. They're not birthed in trying to do twice as much as you're supposed to do. You can't pray. Again, like I said last week, you can't, you can't double your prayers and overcome your lack of righteousness and obedience. You can't double your tithes and overcome your lack of obedience and righteousness. God's promises are birthed in righteousness. And I wonder how many times when God... It's so close to fulfilling a promise and just kind of gets, like some of these things going on here, just gets short-circuited by our lack of righteousness. That's why it was so important for God to find such a virtuous couple, Mary and Joseph. Because this promise, this is an important promise because it was a promise to the whole world. And it could not be short-circuited by someone who was living for themselves. By someone who was living for their hormones. By someone who was living for what feels right today. It had to be someone who was righteous. So today, then got it, today we're going to God in a, in a repentant way. We're going to God in a Lord, I'm sorry way. A remorseful way. We're going to God to, to straighten some things out. I mean, if I ask you right now, nobody would raise their hand, but how many of you got some things you need to straighten out? Don't raise your hand. How many of you got some things? Man, I need to talk to God. Some things God spoke to you in this message, or maybe you knew it before you walked in the door. He just reminded you. And it's not about, I mean, it's really sexual virtue and purity was one of the big issues in this, this message. But that was just... That was just a teaching point for all of the unrighteousnesses that we allow into our lives. And if you've got a promise that has not yet been fulfilled, look into the righteousness. Is it there? And if you need a promise, look into your righteousness. Is it there? Because God's promises are birthed in righteousness. Bow with me, will you? Jamie, go ahead. Don't start singing with Jamie until you finish praying.